0: therefore relate to some of the issues differently so when we talk about this we need to be conscious that in our congregation people relate to this very differently so let's not assume that we're all going to have the same story the same part in this uh situation so i just wanted to flag that up because i've been told off recently for using the word we like this at a time that i thought i was getting it right i was with a group of trainee church leaders recently and i said something like of course." we would want to say that the way to salvation is through Jesus Christ and one of them said why did you say we and include us all in that and I thought well because you're all training to be church leaders I thought I was on safe ground but clearly not (laughs) so if I get it wrong forgive me but I just think we need to be aware that we have very different relationships with the issue of racial justice. So Exodus chapter one it picks up this story, this very famous story of Joseph and his amazing technicolour coat, and going to Egypt. And of course, Joseph was this great hero for the Egyptians. He had saved them from the ravages of famine. That's why he'd been made second in command in the country. And that's why he'd had this enormous power and influence that he'd used for good. He'd used to help this country survive seven years of famine because of what God told him and how God helped him. And his family came down and, uh, and lived there as well. And they then kind of had children and they settled down. They were given a good place. Pharaoh gave them a good part of the country to live in. And they flourished. And then a few generations later, it doesn't tell us how many, but probably not that many. It says that they would all died off, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous. They were still there they were still working they were doing stuff still helping egypt they benefited the egyptian economy we might say today it might be the language we'd use they were there being a benefit and so you'd think there might be a story about wow and they were there and they were helping and and people remembered but no we have this very chilling i think verse this key verse in verse 8 then a new king and this is a, this phrase really telling him let just move this so i can see it properly this new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. This new king, this new pharaoh, when he'd been told the story of Egypt, when he'd been taught about Egyptian history, people had chosen to leave Joseph out of it. When he'd read the hieroglyphics and those wiggly lines and the snakes and all those other things you see, and presumably he could speak hieroglyphic, people hadn't said to him, and this one that's Joseph the Israelite who saved us. No one passed that story on. The story that was passed on was one of Egyptian superiority, it was one of Egyptian self-sufficiency, it was one that said the Israelites don't even feature in our story, they mean nothing. So when he looked around his country and saw these group of Israelites He reacted negatively he didn't look at them and think they're the descendants of that great hero the national treasure the man that we all still remember he looked at them and thought who are these people who are these people and he looked negatively at them this ignorance led to this kind of really negative bizarre kind of response it led to this kind of real fragility This Egyptian superiority didn't lead to confidence, it didn't lead to somewhere good, it led to this strange fragility. Here was Egypt, this enormous superpower, building pyramids and huge temples when the rest of the world was still building tiny little huts mostly. Instead of thinking we're okay, we can welcome others, he felt really threatened by people living in his borders. And how often we have seen that played out again. How often we see countries who ought to be feeling confident actually are really fragile. And what they do is they turn on people within minorities, within their own countries. We saw it in Germany before the Second World War. We've seen it. uh, And some of the things I'm gonna talk about later here, we can see it in some of the ways, some of the rhetoric in uh, America has been about immigrants and in other countries in Europe about immigrants, that this superiority actually leads to a fragility. And because there was no story. Because the, the, the Israelites had been pushed out of the story, then actually it left people able to bring a negative story in. So actually, rather than being able to say, look at how these Israelites are benefiting us, he says, look, they've become too numerous. We must deal with them shrewdly. And it's bizarre that his version of shrewdly included persecution, slavery, and genocide. that's where it led to it led to these kind of conspiracy theories look they're going to rise up against us how could they possibly have done that and therefore we need to control them we need to persecute them and the reason they did that was not because he deeply hated them or there's some reason because he to them joseph meant nothing the powerful had excluded them from the story and one of the things we learned from this chapter that I think God is saying to us very powerfully is that the people in power, they are the ones who get to choose who's in the story because they're the ones who tell the stories. We often hear, don't we, it's the victors who tell the story about battles. You always hear it from the victor's side. Someone was telling me, apparently there's a a quote attributed to Winston Churchill uh, where he said, World War II will treat me very kindly because I'll make sure I write the history of it. Now, I don't know whether he said that or not, but that is what happens. And yet, what we learn here is that the people in power can choose when they tell their story of victory and power to include minorities, to include the foreigners who live amongst them. They can choose to include those or they can choose to exclude them. And the Egyptians chose exclusion and it led to persecution. They didn't tell the story. Ignorance led to terrible persecution and even genocide. And that still happens we might think this is a story from 4000 years ago what does it have to say to us and i want to say that actually it still happens people still behave like pharaoh people who we might have to relate to still behave like pharaoh and we can see that the the wind rush uh, story and the scandal of the other year. The Windrush story, of course, as many of you know far better than I do, but was a story of people being asked to come to Britain to help rebuild the country after the Second World War. This was a story of saying, please come and help us, be a benefit to us. And people did. People from the Caribbean on the Windrush, and then people from Pakistan coming and working in cotton mills and also being here to help rebuild the country after the war. And yet, very quickly, that part of the story wasn't passed on that part of the story that said that people in Britain asked them to come and help and invited them and gave them incentives that bit got missed out and very quickly we see the same kind of pattern that happened in Egypt with people saying what are you doing here look there's too many the dreadful rivers of blood speech by uh, Mosley back in the 60s the kind of language now where people say why don't you go back when people say well I was born here we were invited here because that part of the story wasn't told and leads to discrimination and led to the terrible scandal a couple of years ago of the windrush scandal of people saying well why didn't you do this 50 years ago fill these forms in people saying because we were never asked because we were invited the story wasn't told and that leads to terrible terrible problems and we see it all over the place and we can see how it is possible to retell the story i think there's been some interesting examples uh, just recently uh, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the, the film Hidden Figures. It's a, a film I've seen three or four times now. I really enjoy that about the early days of NASA space kind of travel, getting kind of uh, John Glenn into space. And what this film is about is about those three ladies, Katherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughan, and Mary Jackson. They were mathematicians, seriously intelligent, <laughs> highly highly skilled mathematicians, and some of the early computer scientists who were instrumental in the early NASA kind of flights. They were absolutely crucial. And yet, when the story of the space race came to be told, it became a story about men and predominantly about white men. They were left out of the story. And that film from a few years ago brought them back into the story and said, they were really key. They carried on working at NASA right up until the 1990s and yet were left out of the story. And they'd been brought back into the story. And then the National Trust has been in the news of trying to retell some of the stories of its properties and saying, actually, part of the story has been they were funded through the slave trade. That's part of the story that has always been there. We've just never told it before. And we now want to tell the story. We are going to choose, as the people in power, to tell a story that includes people who are on the margins, people who have been excluded. We are going to bring them into the story and it's interesting to see people's responses to some of these. Some people are feeling very threatened by this. I think it's very curious, it's almost as if people are saying if we include the stories of Catherine, Dorothy and Mary we're going to have to push somebody else out the story and that isn't the point at all. It isn't saying that if we talk about them we're going to somehow push John Glenn and the other people out of the story, it's about saying the story's big enough to make sure we include everybody. Sometimes I think people feel that our stories that we tell of ourselves, our history, can only have 10 characters. So every one character we bring in, someone else has got to be pushed out. And that's not true. Our stories can be as big and complex and rich as we choose to make them. Adding more people in doesn't push other people out. It just adds to the richness. But if we don't do that, as we saw in uh, the story from Exodus, it leads to real problems as a country, as a church. So there we are. There's... England, And I'll say that as someone who's English. I was born in England, my parents were born in England, my grandparents and their parents before them were all born in England, all born in the southeast of England, or as we call it, the civilized bit. But, um, but we're from, I'm from England. And it's really problematic how sometimes English and British history as well, but English history is told. We've got our patron saint there, St. George, and that is an emblem that's been used far too often by the far right as a kind of white supremacist kind of emblem. And yet, St. George, as I'm sure you know, was Middle Eastern. He came from Palestine. He was a devout Christian. He was beheaded because he refused to give up his faith. But he was from the Middle East. He celebrates all over the Middle East. If you go to Lebanon, you can't move for churches dedicated to St. George. He was Middle Eastern our national story has people from all over the world embedded in it it's not a story just of white people and the stories around the first and second world war which have had lots and lots of commemorations over just the past few years with all sorts of year-long anniversaries coming up and yet too often in the past that story has been a story just of white english people and, and often just of white english men and yet I don't, you, you may well be aware of this, but in the Second World War, people from all over what was then the British Empire fought as part of the British Army. Two and a half million Indians fought for Britain in the Second World War. Two and a half million. And yet, too often, their story has been ignored. When we've told the story, when our country, when England, for those of you who call it our, try not to use the word we here, when England has told the story of the Second World War, too often they weren't included, they were left out. Many hundreds of thousands from the Caribbean from other parts of the world, whose story wasn 't included, and too often it 's ended up with being a story about the ba- just about the Battle of Britain or d day as if there were just a few English men who did it all. but no, it was a bigger story, including the story of people from India it does not push out the story of the Battle of Britain; it just enriches it and adds to it. but if we don 't do that, we can leave with a place where some people think that England is should be a country for white people and that is wrong and needs to be challenged and the church as well now obviously we know that we're founded on our faith in jesus christ who was jewish who came from the middle east and the disciples were all from that part of the world but again too often that's not being told and the story of other people in the church i've got a couple of pictures um, just want to mention saint augustine one of the early great theologians one of the really really founding fathers of the church whose thinking has influenced the church right down the centuries still hugely influential and he was from Egypt he was an Egyptian and I've just learned recently I was reading a story about St Hadrian of Canterbury I'd never heard of St Hadrian of Canterbury until about two weeks ago because his story hadn't been told to to in the churches I'm in St Hadrian was in England about 1200 years ago And he was sent here and he was one of the early teachers who really taught in the colleges of the bishops and the archbishops when the church was getting really going in England. He was formational in helping the church here get really established. He was from North Africa. He was African. What helped our church get going? One of the key people was African. But how often he's been left out and not told as part of our story? And I just wanted to include two women there as well, St. Hilda and St. Julian, two medieval uh, nuns, mystics whose writings have inspired people, but too often have been left out of the story. And if we don't include people like this in our story as we keep on telling it, then we get to a point, largely as I was told as I was growing up sort of 40 years ago now, that the church is predominantly white and is led by men. And sadly, People from the Windrush generation, for example, met churches who said, well, no, the church is for white people. Because they hadn't had the story that said, actually, right from the earliest days, it's had people from Africa informing, enriching, forming our story. If we, look, if we leave people out the story, it has really negative consequences. We can end up, those of us from England, those of us from this part of the world who were born here, we can end up, if we're not careful, behaving like Pharaoh as can people in all sorts of other countries. This is not just a thing peculiar to us here. It happens in all sorts of places where the powerful choose to ignore or wipe out the story of the people on the margins and the minorities. And when we do that, as we saw in Exodus, it leads somewhere really dangerous. It leads somewhere really, really dangerous. We need to keep telling the story. And it's important that we keep telling the story. I think one of the fascinating things, if you look, as we go through at the end of the story of Exodus, of course, is the Passover um, that famous kind of story. And of course, part of the whole thing about the Passover is the ceremony that the people of Israel are instructed to do every year. And part of the ceremony is this re- repetition that comes up about when you do this and when your children ask why you're doing this, tell them the story. And it comes up time and time again. When your children ask, tell them every year, do this keep telling the story. God knew they'd need to keep hearing the story of their rescue. He knew that they'd forget. So he put it in there every year, tell the story. And to this day, Jewish people still do that every year. The story works. Retelling the story. This is something we're going to need to keep redoing. Telling the story that includes people from the margins. It's something that's going to have to, I think, I want to suggest it becomes part of the life of our church regularly. And whether that's We do it during Black History Month or the new South Asian Heritage Month that was just started this year at some point in the year where we keep telling the stories. And I think as we go forward, we need to keep thinking, and who else's stories do we need to include? The stories of Christians from other parts of the world, the stories of disabled Christians who perhaps voices haven't been heard, the stories of LGBT Christians, the stories of very elderly or very young Christians who haven't been heard. How do we keep broadening the story? telling the story where people on the margins feel included. So I want to return to that word, we, and the idea of telling story. And I deliberately went to that chapter, that paragraph in um, that passage in Corinthians, where Paul is talking about the Eucharist, but he's challenging the way they're behaving as the body of Christ. Because I want to suggest that having said this thing about we, and it's problematic, we don't include each other. There is a point, of course, where we do say it really firmly, don't we? We are the body of Christ into one spirit. We were all baptized at communion. Um, and then we say, um, though we are many, we are one body because we all share in one bread. Our deepest unity, I want to suggest, comes through our being part of the body of Christ. That's where we find unity. We've got all sorts of exciting diversity in terms of age, ethnicity, gender, nationality, etc. etc. But we have the deepest, profoundest unity in the body of christ and we need to live that and continue to live that because the people in corinth were missing that and when they got together they weren't coming together really as the body of christ they were coming together as a bunch of individuals and they were being greedy and selfish and pushing people out and getting drunk this was not the body of christ and paul knew that actually when we tell that story of Jesus' death and resurrection the story that jesus told us to do then we find that deepest unity and we find the story that includes everybody the story where we tell it where everybody's brought in and i that's you know one of the great things of course is that what jesus left us with the command is to do this in remembrance of me he knew we'd need to keep retelling the story he knew that we needed to do that and in that story everyone's included so we are the body of christ we can say that confidently for all the other things we've got that make us different and exciting we are The body of christ we keep telling that story and as we go forward as a church for those of us who've got the power to tell stories we need to learn the lesson of how pharaoh and the egyptians excluded people and be the people who tell stories where we include everybody amen